0: You begin wearing maternity clothes as you leave the OBGYN office confirming your pregnancy. Second baby, you wear your regular clothes as long as possible. Third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular. First baby, you practice your breathing religiously, preparing for the birth. Second baby, you don't bother because you remember last time it didn't do any good. And then third baby, you ask for an epidural in your eighth month. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Let me dab another one. pacifier falls on the floor with the first baby, you put it away so you can get it properly clean. Second baby that falls on the floor, you screw it off with some juice or baby bottle, uh, whatever inside. Third baby, you wipe it on your shirt and put it back in. The <laughs> that's true. I'll do one more here. First baby, you spend a good bit of. No, that's. Okay. First baby, but, uh, when they swallow a coin, you rush to the hospital and call the doctor in a panic. Second baby, you watch for it to pass. Third baby, you deduct it from their allowance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's how it goes, and it really goes down from there, <laughs> as you know. Baby
0: never foretold. <clears throat> well, throat> nothing to do with anything, but good to laugh. As we begin our study of chapter three, we are given really 19 characteristics that we can expect to see lived out really in greater intensity in our society, and more particularly in the church, as false teachers and apostates infiltrate. We clearly see the impact of this decline every time you listen to the news, or you learn of another well-known spiritual leader who has cheated people and taken their financial support in order to feed their ego and provide for their extravagant lifestyle. Paul is warning Timothy in the present tense, right now, about these dangers. This is not just for something in the future. The Church of Jesus Christ will find these uh, days as dangerous and difficult to endure. Paul is telling Timothy, and by way of application to us, that we can, what we can expect during the challenging last days of the church. So there's 19 characteristics. They existed in Paul's day, and the evil is deeper and more intense and is boldly promoted as time goes on, accepted as absolute normal. So facts about the last days. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Paul starts by telling Timothy, but realize this, you need to understand how difficult the last days really are that you're living in. Obviously, Paul wanted to bring clarification because Timothy really needed to understand this truth. As Paul had closed chapter 2, he had stated that some people who who oppose the truth will ultimately be one to the Lord. But even though this may be true, there will be opponents that continually attack the church from within and without. Opposition to the truth isn't an isolated matter for the first century believers. Rather, this is a permanent characteristic of all of the church age. Paul doesn't want Timothy to be naive about the church. As long as the church exists, it's going to be assaulted and opposed, and it will only intensify throughout the entire church age. The last days began with the ministry of Jesus, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 tells us, and will continue until he returns. The last days are the time frame in which God is completing all of his purposes in people, in his people. And ultimately, well, we know people scoff and laugh as according to 2 Peter 3.3, the promise of his coming, where is the promise of his coming? But he will come as promised. The difficult days speaks of the idea of very dangerous and savage days, hard to deal with times for the church. Opposition will not let up. It's really only going to intensify. The troubles that Timothy faced with heresy and apostates and disobedience, these things were not temporary. They would not get better. Paul wants Timothy to understand that the church is going to be assaulted throughout its entire church age. The difficult times have the idea of seasons. Attacks come and go like winter, spring, summer, and fall. Storms arise, they subside. Hurricane-like force winds of evil hit the church, die down. This is the history of the church the last 2,000 years if you take the time to read of church history. In each of these times, men's ideas take the place of the truth of the word of God. And that's what happens. So these times vary in degree of danger and difficulty for the church as they become more and more frequent and more and more intense. In history, we see the time uh, back when the church became an organized institution, and God was replaced by church. (laughs) Then there was rationalism, where reason became God. Under orthodoxism, uh, God became impersonal, and under political rule, God became the state. And then there was uh, God was the fellowship among nominal Christians under ecumenicism, and then God became personal experience. And then mysticism that uh, determines truth about God by intuition, by how you feel, or by your experience. The attacks continue to assault the church as error about Christ's deity, how one is saved, and the inerrancy of scripture is infiltrated now into the training institutions of one solid denominations that taught the gospel, uh, that now teach heresy and lead entire denominations away from the truth. Timothy needed to understand that to be a true servant of Christ, it will bring spiritual attacks. In every age, the church has faced struggles existing in a really evil world. And the greater danger is that society becomes more and more corrupt, which obviously it has, and that corruption then ultimately creeps into the church. It's critical that we understand that the seasons and attacks on the church will be very, very difficult. That's what Paul is warning Timothy, and why? because uh, the characteristics are listed for us here. This is why. Specifically, men and women who will infiltrate the church with these character traits. These are religious people in the church. I mean, I always read these verses, lovers of self, you know, haters of God, all that, thinking of the world, and that's true. That's a given of our culture in the world. But he specifically, this letter is addressed to the church. This letter is addressed to how to function in the church, and that these are the people coming in the church. They infiltrate and attempt to make converts of their own error. Paul's referring to unbelievers in the church whose root problem is the first characteristic, lovers of self. They love self rather than God. And that leads to all the next traits that are listed. If you love God, then you will love people and you will serve people with humility. But if you love yourself supremely, then you will only live for yourself and everything in life and everything in the church life centers around what uh, you and what you want. It's a thinking that the church exists to meet your needs. And we live in a society filled with self-lovers who promote self-image, self-assertion, self self we're commanded by God to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, but we are never commanded to love ourselves. Actually, that's our biggest problem. We love ourselves so much. And when this attitude comes into the church, it is totally destructive. Lovers of money naturally follows being a lover of self, because money, you know, indulges itself. Uh, it feeds that covetousness in our sinful flesh. This mindset has not only come into the church, but you realize It is promoted as a spiritual right and expectation in the church that you live as a child of the king, therefore you deserve to drive a Mercedes, have large diamonds and the best and biggest of everything and sit on thrones on TV. (laughs) Leaders in churches like this are most interested in the bank accounts of its members, the financial status in their community. And such false teachers are noted for their own greed And their own love of money and are only too happy to take the gifts of well-meaning people in order to expand their self-loving lifestyle the church can only go downhill from here people who are boastful magnifying self to impress others to be speak of how greatly they are used by god they love to claim things about themselves that aren't even true i remember channel surfing a few years back and I heard a man speaking on Christian TV, and he said, I was beamed by God. No, he didn't have to take an airplane. No. <laughs> he was beamed, like Scotty, in Trot <laughs> um, by God to some obscure country in Africa where he raised many people from the dead. Oh, wow. wow. Such yeah. attitudes and such action, and people are sitting there listening going, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's stunning. Uh, they said, contrary to everything scripture teaches, and yet they are justified by false teachers who are in the church. Besides being boastful, there's often a great deal of arrogance as these individuals see themselves as better than other people. Completely uh, contrary to everything 1 Corinthians teaches about love does not brag and is not arrogant. They're revilers. Um, They speak evil about others and insult them. They attack people in the church. Completely contrary to Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Disobedient to parents indicates that the attitude of self-love in the church filters right on down to children and the youth group. When a child loves themselves supremely above everyone else, they do not care about their parents. They do not respect their parents. They only want to get their own way. That's why foolishness is bound up in their hearts, and that's why the rod of reproof Drives it. it has to be used to drive it far from them. How often the church fails to help parents or encourage them to deal in a biblical way <laughs> with disrespectful children, as scripture instructs us to do. Ungrateful means no appreciation for what others have done for you. Self-love and pride breeds entitled thinking that believes you deserve anything good that you get. And you don't have to be thankful for it, because you should get it. Unholy speaks of no reverence or respect for anything that is sacred. How many ministers of large churches engage in in immoral behavior even while they might speak against it? Mm -hmm. Unloving speaks of not even having normal or natural affection. Even unbelievers can care about their children and and their spouses. But this is a, a lack of natural affection. Because intense self-love leads a person away from the natural love to even care for others. Irreconcilable speaks of an unwillingness to negotiate, to compromise, to be flexible or reasonable. How many church splits have been unresolved because of this type of mindset? Malicious gossips. In the Greek, it's the same word for devil because it means slanderer and false accuser. This is what Satan does, you know, all the time. Accuses the brother. And his work is certainly quite evident in the church today. They are without self-control. That means there's no restraint in their self-indulgence, no discipline, rather a taking of whatever it is they want. Driven by selfish ambition to get what they want, which leads them to be brutal. It has the thought of being savage like an animal. Uh, Through the years of ministry, I have seen this behavior in the church with no remorse and no feelings for others behaving in savage ways towards others. Haters of God means they hate the things that God says are good because they pursue what's evil. Treacherous, like a traitor, like, like Judas, can't be trusted. They break their word. They have no problem sticking a knife in somebody's back that opened up to them. How often that has happened in the context of the church. Reckless means completely thoughtless in their words and deeds to anyone who gets in their way And conceited is puffed up with pride and self-importance. They don't have a clear picture of reality because, you know, sin blinds you to reality. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Obviously, that's our society, but it is in the church as well. This thinking encourages people to do whatever makes them happy, even if it's totally self-centered, even if it crushes everybody around them in their life. How many churches have become places of entertainment and feel-good type of speeches instead of a spiritual ministry of teaching the word of God. All these characteristics describe what happens when the world comes into the church to destroy it. And that's what Paul is warning Timothy about. Further problems are seen in verses 5-9, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Paul goes to further identify these individuals, describing them specifically. They are very religious. They have an outward appearance of being very religious. They may be high up in their church leadership. These same corrupt people, as we just saw described, are wicked on the inside and yet appear to be very religious on the outside. But that is the facts of the history of the church. How many devout Religious people in high, high positions within their church have put true believers to death. <clears throat> burned them at the stake, cut off their heads, whatever, calling them the heretics when they themselves deny everything of truth. This is why the church endures such difficult times. Just as Satan makes himself out to be an angel of light, so do his children do the same in the context of the church. They are Christian in name only but inside they are godless, and Paul says, avoid them. How many of these people are broadcasting on Christian radio, Christian TV, and are authors of best-selling books in a Christian bookstore? It is stunning. Paul warns Timothy and us to turn away from such dangerous, fearful individuals. Of course we share the gospel with the people we come across in our lives and our neighborhoods, but... These religious people promoting their error are to be avoided at all costs. And why is that? For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. So what these individuals do is target others and find a way to get into their homes covertly. Paul's not saying all women are weak and all men are strong. Rather, he is stating that the strategy that false teachers use were using in Ephesus was to concentrate their efforts and attention on women who were in a vulnerable way, burdened with guilt, easy prey for false teachers to play with their feelings of guilt. These type of women would listen to anyone who would help them rid them of their guilt without forsaking their sin. They may tune in to the radio or read a self-help book or embrace any teaching that comes their ways, always learning about new things New things coming on the pike, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. The weakness is in their moral life, and false teachers creep into their homes to feed them error falsely, to relieve their conscience. Such error comes into the home of many women today through so many media avenues, and such false teachers oppose the truth, just like Janice and Jambres, which, as I'm sure you saw in your lesson, nor are they? This is the first time where they're named in scripture, but... Jewish tradition says they were the two chief magicians in Pharaoh's court from Exodus 7, the ones who did the counterfeit, counterfeit miracles, for just like false teachers. They oppose the true gospel with a counterfeit gospel. They promote a lie in place of the truth. Verse 9, Paul tells us, eventually it will become obvious that they are false, and the true church of Christ will endure through all of these errors. So these are the kinds of people, ladies, they're not just out there. They're in churches throughout the world. Don't listen to them. Be discerning. You have to know scripture so you can discern. And it's amazing what air is propagated and how many Christians are reading these and being impressed by these things when it's false. So the church surviving in difficult times. He goes on to say God's provision <coughs> is seen <the> in verse 10. <coughs> Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. In complete contrast to these false teachers and the people who are following them and being led astray by them, Timothy had followed a totally different kind of model. He followed Paul. It's critical that every Christian knows that they should follow the right kind of spiritual leaders. This requires you to have discernment. Obviously our ultimate confidence in who we follow is Christ. He's the only perfect, sinless example. But Christ has provided models for us that we to follow them as they follow Christ in their attitudes and in their behavior. The truth is that you become like the leaders you follow. And that means leaders need to be transparent people so that you can know them. And what did Timothy observe about Paul in his life? How was Paul a model? Well, Paul's teaching. This is the first thing to look at as a spiritual leader. Does he teach the truth of the word of God? False teachers say they preach the truth. So how do you know? You have to be a student of scripture yourself. Verse 15 reminds us that from a childhood, from childhood Timothy had been taught the truth of scripture. It also means you need to look at an individual's life to see if they practice what they teach. Does a leader live by the truth that they proclaim and are they willing to die for that truth? Paul's conduct or general lifestyle was observed. Paul lived what he taught. He didn't tell other servants uh, to be servants and then expect that he should be treated like a celebrity. He didn't teach moral purity and then sneak off with women. Paul lived what he taught. False teachers don't practice what they tell others they must do because they love themselves too much. Paul's purpose, his ambitions and motives were very clear to Timothy. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I make it my ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. His entire life was lived to do the will of God at any cost. His purpose was God's glory, not himself. Just as Paul taught in chapter 2, a servant of Christ is to be kind and gracious even to those who might disagree with him. And Paul was a model to Timothy. Paul's love was evident as he truly cared about the welfare of others. His focus was not on himself. And Paul's perseverance is seen. He endured everything bad that can come to a person. How does a true spiritual leader handle difficulties? That's really the test of character. When you're criticized, when you're attacked, when painful, difficult circumstances come, Paul was willing to die for the truth that he proclaimed. In verse 11, he mentions of three places where he suffered intense persecution. And this was just the evidence that his faith was real, not like false teachers who are self-indulgent and self-centered and would never care about the principles they claim enough to suffer for them. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It is simply a fact of the Christian life. It may not be constant, but there are gonna be times when the godly suffer. If we live in a godly way, if we refuse to be conformed to the world around us, the world resents it. They will misunderstand what you say and what you believe. They will call you all kinds of names. They will accuse you of things that are all kinds of evil. And why? But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The number of false teachers just keeps increasing as the population grows, really, and it's inevitable that there will be more persecution to arise as a result. As individuals continue to become more evil, they will deceive others. And really, they promote such deception that they eventually can't even tell the difference themselves, their self deceived But what is God's provision to protect us from all of this? You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Evil men and women may advance their (coughs) error. And that's not to say that they're aware that they're evil or that they're aware of the damage that they're doing. And how many times people who start out good and sound, suddenly they're getting off course and they're not sound anymore. That's why we have to be constantly on the alert. Because Satan is forever trying to discredit scripture. But evil men and women may advance. But Paul tells Timothy, continue in sound doctrine. In contrast to the false teachers who uh, move into error and evil. Timothy is to stay and remain in the truth. The only way to defeat Satan and his lies is from the truth of the word of God. Paul exhorts Timothy and us to remain, continue, abide in the truth that you've become convinced of. Timothy had convictions about what he'd learned. He had absolute assurance that his convictions were true. You can know a lot of things in your head, but it has to be more than that knowledge. There has to be a confidence and a true conviction about what you believe. Timothy knew the trustworthiness of Scripture uh, because of those who taught him. And I love this, because who taught him? His first instructors were his mother and his grandmother. From early childhood, Timothy had been taught truth by these two important women in his life. The Old Testament Scriptures had been taught to him from infancy is the idea. So even when he couldn't respond or talk or ask questions, they were teaching him truth because babies observe Babies absorb. This is, speaks volumes to every mother and grandmother of the importance of living out the faith that you proclaim to your children. Lois and Eunice had taught him the sacred writings, and you know what? Their lives backed up what they taught Timothy. Timothy had seen genuine faith and godliness, and this should be the model verse, really, for every mother and grandmother to be reminded of the most important role in the lives of your children. You have to know the scriptures yourselves in order to be able to teach it to your children at that moment when opportunity (laughs) presents itself. And as these women became exposed to the New Testament truths, they realized that was the fulfillment of the sacred uh, scriptures they had taught Timothy from the Old Testament. So Timothy as a child had sound doctrine from his mother and grandmother, and then as a young man, He had been taught by Paul and discipled by him. As a mother, your greatest calling is to invest your life into the life of your child by establishing them in the word of God's truth. So don't grow weary in well doing mothers. As exhausting as and challenging as the days may be, and the nights may be, and the decades may be. You have a high calling to be a part of raising up leaders for the church in the next generation. I mean, you realize... Your grandparents are going to be gone. Your parents are going to be gone. You're going to be gone. And they are the next generation for the church. It is the scripture that gives wisdom and leads to salvation in Christ. And we study these sacred writings of the Old Testament to better equip you. And because they reveal so much about God and his attributes, his holiness, his wrath, his forgiveness, his grace and mercy, so when we go to Zechariah, don't be mumbling about that next, uh, when we come back in the winter. These are the sacred writings that Lois and Eunice taught Timothy. The excellent character of a teacher means everything. The godly lifestyle of a teacher is what helps a student continue in the faith. So what you teach on any level should be seen as reliable because your life backs it up. Timothy had reliable character in his teachers and in the life of Paul. And so Paul's driving this point home to Timothy. Continue in what you've been taught. It's in perfect harmony with the word of God. That's in total contrast to the false teachers. Paul taught what was in harmony with scriptures and what his mother and grandmother had taught them. So this brings us to the final verse. I mean, such a critical verse for all of scripture. All of... All of scripture. All scripture is inspired by God. All of it. Zechariah, Malachi, (laughs) Ezekiel. All scripture is inspired by God, and all of it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, (laughs) equipped for every good work. This would include, as I said, all the Old Testament letters written, as well as all the New Testament, all scripture is God-breathed. He is the source. It originates with God. It was in his mind. It came out of his mouth. It was communicated by God. Paul doesn't tell us the process of how it came from God to be on the written page, only that it is a fact, that it is his word. In 2 Peter 1.21, we, we know a little more. We're told that all scripture is not an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So scripture is from God and about God, and it reveals his truth to fallen mankind. His character and attributes and divine plans are seen by the one who made man in his own image. It is God's truth forever. It's forever settled in heaven. And because this is the fact, Paul is encouraging Timothy, and he's encouraging you and me that during these difficult times that we live in, and they are, God has provided his word to protect you, to keep you from being sucked into error because it ultimately affects how you behave and how you think and how you live and how you raise your children. It's profitable for teaching because it tells us the truth, what's right, what's wrong. It is sufficient for our every need and question. It is, you only have to read Psalm 119 to get the full picture of the power of the Word of God in every aspect and every area of life. This includes, as I said, the teaching of the Old Testament, all of Jesus' words in the Gospels, and all of the Apostles' letters. The Scripture is profitable for reproof because it rebukes in order to correct sinful behavior uh, and false teaching or thinking. As you spend time in the Scripture, you know, if you know him, it exposes sin In order not to just punch you and bring you down, but in order to correct you so that you walk in obedience. It is living and active and sharper than any 2 edged sword. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How true that is. After time in God's word, you know what? You often realize areas in your life where you're not obedient. You didn't realize that five years ago. Or areas where you have wrong motives. Why do you do that? To impress who? or you realize you're rationally rationalizing away a sinful attitude. You don't have a right to stay angry. The Word of God rebukes us in order to make us more conformed to the image of Christ. You know what, if you have a friend or if you have a spouse who loves you enough to be honest with you and speak to you, reproof from God's Word, you ought to be grateful. The Word of God corrects. It tells us how to get back on track in obeying the truth. This should happen in the context as we're being taught the Word of God and studying it for ourselves, it's like this flashlight shines right down on us and, like, yikes. Uh, we're aware of something that needs to change. The Word of God trains us in righteousness. It instructs us to build us up in the faith. Godly teachers are God's instruments through which Scripture provides training for us. We should always have the heart of the psalmist who said, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for Thee." Time in God's word transforms believers. It makes us more like Christ. And in this way, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Paul is talking to Timothy and to us, making it clear that the word of God is what makes us fit to be used by him. God has provided his word so that we can survive these last days that we are living in. The Bible equips us for every good work despite all the muck and mire and evil associated with in the church and around the church. I hope the reason that you're part of this study is so that you will be better equipped to be used by the Lord. And I plead with you, ladies, to expose yourself to biblical teaching by faithful servants. Test what they're saying. Even if they once were good, doesn't mean they still are accurate. But be discerning to the continuous errors that just keep creeping in today. These are the last days. These are difficult, savage days. But we have the word. Be a student. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it protects us from going into all kinds of crazy (laughs) thinking, all kinds of error that just is Satan's tools to suck us out of truth and into confusion. I pray that we, each one of us here, would be students who are discerning, and study your word and apply it to our lives. Give us lives like you uh, to be women like Lois and Eunice, Lord, that we would impact the children in our own families or the children that you bring across our path uh, in Sunday school or some other venue, Lord. I pray that we would see the long-term picture and would be faithful to teach the sacred writings in Jesus' name.